You've taken your first step into a larger world. Let's go. Hello there and welcome to Force Material. I'm Baz McAllister. And I'm Aaron Williams. And we have a very special guest for you again this week. Um, he's simultaneously responsible for some of the cutest and some of the most terrifying creatures in a galaxy far, far away. Who would have thought Babu Frick and Bor Gullet could spring from the mind of the same man? But this week, we're stoked to have that man as our very special guest. He's behind the look of Snoke, Ankar Plutt, Lady Proxima, Moloch, Rio Durant, Bistan, and countless nightmarish patrons of countless bars throughout the Star Wars universe. And he's also filled in his time with some work on little projects called Prometheus, <laughs> Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, and Edge of Tomorrow. You may have heard of them. Um, he got a start working with the legendary Jim Henson. He is sculptor, designer, and prosthetics wizard, Ivan Manzella. Ivan, welcome to the show. Hiya, guys. How are you? Very well, mate. Yourself? You made me sound very grown up. Yeah, very grown up. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to have you. Um, so you're coming to us from the UK. Is that where you where you grew up? Uh, yes. Um, yes. Born and bred, I guess. First, mm-hmm. well, my parents um, were from Italy, both of them, and they met over here. So I guess I'm first generation Italian. Um, mm-hmm. Most of my relatives are out um, in Italy still, but um, there's no trace of an accent. <laughs> um, yeah, and are, are we are we pronouncing your name correctly? Is yes, it, you are. Manzella, Manzella, yes. Or, no. <laughs> um yeah you are. um but yeah uh yeah they've been well they've been here most of their lives you know, mm. longer than they ever were in Italy I guess so yeah and what was your first memory of Star Wars can you can you remember going to see it in the cinema uh well I think right I might be wrong but I was too young because it came out in 77 and I would have been five mm-hmm. so I wouldn't have been aware of anything going on in the world at five <laughs> I don't think um so I spoke to my mum about this and she said we saw it, so maybe they went and left me behind. <laughs> but and I was trying to figure out the timeline because I never saw Star Wars in the cinema and I never saw Empire in the cinema, mm-hmm. but I saw Jedi in the cinema. I remember that because I was a teenager, I guess. So I must have seen the other two on VHS at some point, and I don't know how that works because I remember it took four years for Empire to come out of VHS. Yeah. Um, but. I was just like everyone else. It, it just blew me away. You know, I remember vividly swapping toys in school and the tops cards, and it was quite a magical thing, really. Star Wars. It was a big, it was a big event, really. I can understand what all the fuss is about. Mm. I think if you if you were that age in in seventy seven, I think we we're about the same age. And I have no memory of seeing Star Wars in the cinema as well, but I do remember getting my first action figure which is a weird one. And that would have happened around the same year, I guess. Yeah, but, I guess uh, when... Very strange. So I must have known the story, but but I don't remember seeing the story. So it's... Yeah, because I have vivid memories. I have vivid memories of being in primary school playing with the toys. So, mm. you know, I must have been... You go to primary school at five, right? Six, seven, eight. So, yeah, I kind of... I think I might have just come to it a bit late. Maybe I was just oblivious as a kid or... I think maybe my parents kept me under the stairs like Harry Potter. And, <laughs> and I had no idea what was going on in the world. But yeah. I came to it pretty late. I remember seeing the Empire Strike Back posters on the underground. 
and not knowing what it was. I didn't have yeah. any clues. So I think I might have been a bit more oblivious. But when I got into it, you know, it wasn't. Um, yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. And when did the uh, the interest in sculpting and design manifest itself for you? Well, I guess um, just like any kid, I'd, I'd just always been drawing since I was a kid. You know, it just um, and I've just carried it on. I think like my grandparents and my uncle. My uncle was a painter, and my grandparents are like famous puppeteers in Italy. So I think I sort of got the genetics from them. But I just kept drawing and drawing. And then as I got older, I draw from uh, characters from my favourite films. And then I sort of, I think I came to a bit of sculpting a bit later. It was always drawing first, but sculpting later. And then I sculpt characters from my favourite films, you know, like Ghostbusters. And I drew from like um, Mad Magazine and stuff like that. And yeah, like I remember... Sort of, uh, I think the biggest moment for me was seeing Dark Crystal. Really, that was my, that was my big, big moment. And I went home, just sculpted from then on. And it was like, that's what I want to do. That's all I want to do. So I just sculpted tons of you know, creatures and, and stuff like that. But um, yeah, that was pretty amazing. That film was my, I guess, like uh, Harry Hauser says, King Kong was his film you know mm. dark crystal is is always my number one film for that reason really. wow that's funny because when we had uh jake lunt davies on the show just recently he said as well that dark crystal and and brian froud's work on dark crystal was one of the things that like really got oh, him really? into art in the first place so yeah it's like that movie is like a, a i guess a, a big influence on the current sort of stable of, yeah. of lucasfilm artists yeah because i guess star wars was a big influence but then star wars was for me um a part of a bigger picture Mm. Yeah, so there's so many other things going on that had creatures and fantasy and stuff. So it was all um, encompassed into one thing. But, you know, that was a vivid memory of seeing uh, Dark Crystal. And it was like, it just blew my, my mind. It was like, mm. that's, that's what I have to do. And then I managed to work a little bit on the new one, the Netflix one that came out. Oh, great. Just a small bit, but I just rang up my friend who was doing it. I said, I don't want to get paid. I just want a T-shirt. A crew t shirt <laughs> and I want to sculpt something. So uh I managed to do that, which was good. So <laughs> that that's the real dream come true. Star Wars was just a stepping stone to that, really. It's the dark crystal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I would love to have done like a film, but um yeah, that was that was yeah, that was pretty amazing. So yeah, um and I just kept it was just part of my life. I just kept doing it really. I just you know, and I guess back then it was kind of strange, you know, I was uh, it wasn't like a career or people really didn't know much about it like they do now. Mm. So teachers would always be like, oh, that's you know, what you're going to do for a living. Or my parents wanted me to go and work at the restaurant where my dad was working. And it was like, no, this is what I have to do. This is this is it. So that was, yeah, that was pretty cool. That's great. I always admire people who can hang on to that and push past the you have to go and work in a restaurant phase. Yeah, well, it happens, sounds it? really stoic now, right? Like, I, yeah, I, I, you know. But at the time, at the time, it was like I don't think it was like that. It was just like I'm not going to work in a restaurant. It never <laughs> even entered my mind. It was like, yeah. and I had no idea how I was going to do this. This is, you know, it was like I had no clue. But um, I, but I did work in a restaurant for a summer holiday job. But that's not the same. Yeah. But then that took me how to how I that was part of how I got into. I probably if I didn't work in that restaurant for. Summer holiday, I wouldn't have worked at Jim Henson's. So, yeah, yeah. Well, how? Yeah, how did that work? How? What was the connection there? Well, my dad used to work in quite a uh, posh restaurant in Hampstead. He was a waiter, and uh, 
Jim Henson used to come in and all the other people, and he'd serve them. I don't know how he knew who Jim Henson was. Like This is before internet, right? So how would you even know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he told me, he said, oh, you know, the guy who does Kermit. And, and so I got together my figures in a shoebox, and then I just imagined my, you know, my dad just, He's like serving food and then he goes, oh, can I just show you my son's stuff? And he showed it to Jim, my little creatures and stuff like that. And uh, I guess Jim was very, you know, like um, nice about all that sort of stuff. Um, and I got his autograph. And then it kind of ended there, really. And it was like, it was quite a weird thing. But, um, and nothing happened for a long time. But then when I started work in the restaurant, the summer holiday job, I met a kid who said, oh, down the road, don't make the Muppets. I was like, you're kidding me, right? It's like, it was, that was crazy. And so we walked down the hill. So this is Hampstead and Downshire Hill, where the workshop was first based for Dark Crystal. I knocked on the door and the guy answered the door and I said, oh, can we come and have a look? And he said, no. And, uh, <laughs> and looking back, I think that guy was a friend of mine called Reza, who I know quite well, who I still work with sometimes. I should double check with him, but I'm going to give a little punch in the arm or something, not let me in. <laughs> but um, so, but then I knew where it was. It was like, okay, that's that's like this place. It's incredible, right? And then uh, we had a school. We had three weeks work experience, so they gave us a list of car mechanics, supermarkets, all sorts of things. I said, look, I want to go to Henson's, and they were like, what's that? I said, oh, they make all no muppets and dark crystal and stuff like that, and. Um, so I went for an interview and I bought some of my toys and I met a guy called Chris Carr, really sweet guy, who was like, I guess, running it at the time. And he, I showed him all my toys, my little figures, and he um, said, yeah, sure, you can do three weeks work experience. And that, I mean, that is incredible, right? Because yeah. going from like your bedroom, you know, watching this stuff, and as you know, there wasn't much around, right? It was a few magazines, kind of articles, but... Um, to go from that into that workshop for three weeks was just, it was just, it was insane. It was insane. And I worked with, there was people there like Ron Muick, you know, who's the hyper-realistic sculptor. Mm-hmm. He's, he's quite a big uh, sculptor. He's Australian as well, Australian um, sculptor. And Steve Norrington, who directed Blade. Wow. He was there. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was just incredible. And Pete Brook, who actually runs the creature shop in LA at the moment. He came in a bit later, but working, you know, working next to these people for that three weeks was incredible. It was amazing. And I learned a lot from, I went to every department. So I saw, I, I just can't even describe it. You know, it was just, it was like a wonderland. It was amazing. I think they were doing yeah. the tail end of Storyteller as well. Oh, Wow. Amazing. So, um, so from work experience there, then how did that lead into um, to gainful employment with the Henson Creature Shop? Did you go away and study sculpture and come back, or did you just no, stay there? No, well, I just I uh, went back to school, I think, and I left. I went back to school, and it was like I think it was time to either go and six one or something. I can't. It's a bit blurry because it was. But um, I left school because the um, one of the guys that the creature shop called Mike Osborne, he gave me a job in the phone lab. And so I, I think I started when I was 16, just uh-huh. turning 17 almost. Um, so I started working the phone lab 
Um, and I think it was Ninja Turtles, the first Ninja Turtles. Wow. Wow. I'm quite old, I'm quite old right? I don't even be able to get out of this chair after this interview. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so, and that's, so he gave me that job to do that. And I did that for years, like, you know, running phones and um, bolting moulds up and cleaning syringes and all that sort of stuff. And obviously along the way, uh, got to annoy lots of other people in the workshop, asking questions. Snotty little kid running around, going, "What are you doing? What are you doing?" You know, um, <laughs> so I was probably quite annoying. But um, <laughs> I got to see every aspect of um, you know what, how things were made. And eventually, I went from the foam lab, and then I went to the mold shop. I was in the mold shop, Ninja Turtles two. Um, and then at that time, I kept sculpting um, at lunch times and weekends i'd sculpt my own stuff anyway so i'd constantly show it to people um ask for you know what you know their opinions what you know if it's any good and stuff and then um a show called dinosaurs remember dinosaurs jim henson's dinosaurs came yeah, in definitely and um yeah and uh i did a little maquette of the dad because we had the pictures and i showed it to john stevenson who was in charge of the creature shop at that point and he said, oh, look, I'll make you do it. So I'm 18 at this time now, I think. So I've skipped forward a few. Um, he said, look, I'll let you do a maquette of the grandma, you know, the grandma dinosaur. Mm-hmm. And uh, I won't promise anything. We'll see how it goes. So I did that. And I did her in her armchair. And she was all like, I was quite proud of it and stuff. Um, and then he said, okay, you can do the grandma sculpt for the TV show. So yeah, that was my first job at 18, sculpting grandma for dinosaurs. Wow, which was, <laughs> which was really nerve wracking, but not as nerve wracking as I. I think I'd be more scared now to do it. I don't know how <laughs> I had the balls back. Then. I don't know. Maybe yeah. when you're younger, you just don't. Yeah, you feel like you can do anything. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the overconfidence. Like, yeah, I'll do that. I'm, I'll do that. I'm hanging around with all these amazing people. If I wouldn't do it now, it's like <laughs> even after 32 years of experience, I'd be like, nah, I just get someone else to do that. But um. <laughs> That was amazing. That was amazing. And then I managed to go to Los Angeles for six months when they were shooting it and stuff. Wow. Yeah, it was incredible. But it was an amazing time. It was, I think I spent about 10 years altogether there. Mm. Um, it was, yeah, it was amazing. I met so many, you know, I met Jim Henson. You know, he come in, his family, his son. They had a, 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 a beautiful townhouse across the road and they had parties and you know, I'd you know, get drunk and you just work your way to the top of the stairs and I'd just pass down the top room. <laughs> but they were, they were amazing. They were really amazing people. And Jim was amazing. And he just met so many incredible um, people there. Was, that's where I learned most of my things, really. And and, um, and working with uh, Kenny Wilson in the mold shop, you know, he was like a kind of a second father to me as I was growing up. You know, it was you know he really took me under his wings, and mm. I still work with him to this day. You know, so mm. we've been working recently on Star Wars. So yeah, incredible, really. Yeah. Speaking of uh, speaking of Star Wars, did you ever have a chance to meet Frank Oz while you were working with the with the Henson Company? Oh uh, yes, I did meet Frank Oz. Um, I did meet Frank Oz, and then because obviously when um, when Jim died, I went to the memorial at St Paul's Cathedral. Oh well. wow. Um, and I looked at that on YouTube not long ago, and I'm actually I can find I can see myself in the front row, um, wow. which was really weird, really weird. But that was in, you know that was um, 
that was a strange time. That was, you know, that was uh, a really weird time. But that mm. um, that memorial was incredible. With all the Muppets coming out and singing the songs. And, oh, it's one of amazing. the most beautiful. Um, I've, I've, I've only ever seen it on YouTube, but it's it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. So, I mean, actually being there must have been incredible. Yeah, because I think they had one in America, New York, and they had one in St. Paul's Cathedral. So, um, but yeah, and then I, you know, I met Frank a few times, not like buddy buddies, but, mm. um, you know, I met him after the memorial as well with the drinks and stuff. You know, such a fanboy. I mean, that's that's Yoda, right, and stuff. Yeah. But then I meet him on um, Last Jedi properly because um, he was doing Yoda for that, wasn't he? Yeah. And that was, that was really cool because he, um, he did a showing, a screening of uh, Little Shop Horrors at the John Barry Theatre, and it was like a Q&A thing, right? So it was like the live commentary you get on the DVD, but the director's there in the room. <laughs> so we were watching the film, and then if you had a question or if he was, like, mentioning if you wanted to talk about something, he'd stop the film and talk about stuff. And it's like, I said to my wife, I said, I could just listen to you all day and stuff. And, you know, I, I wish, at the time, I think I was just a bit sort of nervous speaking to him, so I didn't mention about Henderson. I wish I did sort of say, you know, because I don't think he would have remembered me, but I would have liked to sort of mention that. But he was lovely. He was amazing. He was mm. a really lovely man. Really lovely man. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say, when, when did you first run into Neil Scanlon? Was that during the uh, the Henson years as well? Yes, it was. He was just like this snotty little grease monkey <laughs> on the bench. I hope he listens to this. That's right. <laughs> um, no, he was, just, he was just like a young kid, a, a, a Mickey boy at the bench. Um, and uh, you know, I, I like everyone else. I you know I'd ask him questions about stuff. I'd ask different people about stuff. But um, you know, it was kind of just a working um, uh, friendship. I guess I didn't really know him that well because I was just a young kid, right? But um, as he um, progressed, he'd be in charge of. He went from the Met the, the Met bench to um, supervising adverts and small shows and stuff like that and then i managed to work on a few of those um which was really good and then he he did babe right which he got the oscar for babe mm-hmm. um and then so when they asked him about the second babe he left henson's to do that so that's when he went to australia to do that at um oh what was it called um is there Fox Studios? Yeah, yeah the, the Fox Studios in Sydney. Yeah, and it used to be the, oh, um, what was it before? I've forgotten what it was called. Um, Showground. Oh, yeah. Prompt. <laughs> uh, but he, uh, he went off to do that, and so they were gone. And um, so I paid for my own flight out there, um, and I sort of turned up, and um, he gave me a job. Um, on Babe, which I was hoping for secretly. It's like <laughs> this better work out. Um, <laughs> and uh, I to do uh, sculpt in lighting standings for the animals. So I'd sculpt the bulldogs and cats and stuff like that. And that's how it started, really. Um, mm. our, our working relationship, because it's, I was speaking to Kate the other day actually. It's like I'm probably one of the only people who've been there the longest that whole time, you know, um, with Neil, I guess. But, um, so then he came back to England and set up a workshop at Elstree and um, I guess we just 
do a small project and they just snowballed into bigger films, bigger films, bigger films. And it just carried on like that for at least another 10 years. So, yeah, that's kind of how I got to, to meet him, really. And then he kind of went into semi-retirement after that. Um, mm. And then I went off into the wilderness to find my own, whatever it is, <laughs> to find my way. <laughs> my way but that's why I ended up working like at Harry Potter and stuff like that until Neil mm. decided he had enough of sitting on his farm <laughs> <laughs> that's right we, we were talking to to Jake Lunt Davis and uh he mentioned how uh you know Neil called him up and said guess what I've got Star Wars was that the same for uh, you yeah yeah no, that was amazing because I was on Guardians of the Galaxy at the time oh yeah and uh it's like it was I think it was coming to the end and he told me and there was like three other people in that room that knew, and it was like we like little children, sort of. Like, <laughs> and, and when things weren't going too well, like on days, we just would be like, "Come on, Star Wars!" Everyone would be like, "What are they talking about?" Because <laughs> <laughs> they were thinking other people were doing it with Baker or something like that. And it's like nah, it's like because we had to keep it a secret. But um, yeah, that was yeah that came out of the blue, just like everything does. Like Prometheus came out of the blue and. It's like, who thinks he's ever going to work with Ridley Scott or Tim mm. Burton? You just never, that's the great thing about this. You never know where you're going to be from one day to the next, mm. which is quite cool. And obviously one of your one of your most beloved creations since you've been working on Star Wars is Babu Frick. I mean, even you know, even for people who, who don't necessarily love Rise of Skywalker, everybody has agreed that they love Babu Frick. Were, were you surprised by the outpouring of love for, for Babu at all? Um yeah, I mean, yeah, that was because uh, I mean, because obviously I've I've done quite a lot of characters um, for Star Wars since I've started since Force Awakens, and you never know what's really going to stick with people. You know, you do something, you think that's really cool, and it's like no one even notices it, right? And stuff. But <laughs> I guess sometimes they don't get enough screen time. But it was um, so that was the first time I was like something had been picked up. It was you know. Uh, people were talking about it with such fondness and it was like I actually felt for, for once like quite emotional about it it was like oh my god that's that's you know i you know seen people do their fan art mm. their little sculptures and it was like wow that's exactly how um be able to sort of just even inspire one or two people that's exactly what happened to me right there's people working before mm. me and doing stuff and i was copying their stuff and it's just like it, continuation isn't it and it was like yeah. that was quite amazing um and yeah I, I did feel quite emotional i was reading articles and stuff because i don't really read that much on the internet i'm not an internet junkie or anything but um every now and again you see stuff and it was like really sweet it was like you know and i, hope, I just hope that they bring out a bit more merchandise at some point, right? Yeah, I need yeah. I need all the Babu toys. I don't I don't really tend to buy a lot of the toys. It's, that's not so much my thing that I get into. But I will definitely buy some uh, some Babu merch. <laughs> well, I did order some. Uh, they do a Babu tops card, like a special one. Um, that's more like the old school with the blue starfield background. Mm-hmm. Um, I've yeah. ordered a few of those, but um, yeah, that's it's like when you're doing these things. Don't even think about that. You're just thinking about I've got to get through this without being fired. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> how, how, how far I can get away with this without anyone realizing. Um, but yeah, and 
because most of the time, like I say, it's almost like quite throwaway, right? You do, you invest a lot of time, and then it's like da, 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 nothing really happens. Mm. But then something sticks. So that, and for that to be on the last, and when you're doing it, it's like you just don't think about that at all. You're just doing it, trying to make it work. And I guess it's just one of those moments that works. And when I was filming the film, yeah, he was really sweet, right? You know, just that. Yeah. He comes together, yeah. So it's, and he takes on life his own. Yeah, he does. And and that cuddliness he has, I think, is is something that you gave him because at one point he was intended to be more insectoid, is that right? Yes. Well we did we did um initially it was like JJ just said, Oh, it's uh, a nine inch creature. Um so we went that was it really, I think, the brief. So we did a load of drawings and we showed him the, the designs and he didn't really go for anything he said oh what about maybe insectoidy i guess you're just throwing out stuff so there's a bit of that insectoidy stuff and there's nothing really um you know that he liked and then um i think i think just because you're drawing every day almost um i think one night i just drew a sketch of a helmet and a hood and um you know I don't know where that came from. Exhaustion, probably. Um, I thought, oh, that looked quite cool. I thought there was something there. Um, and actually, no one ever saw that sketch. That was, I never showed it to anyone because it wouldn't have made sense to anyone. It's actually, uh, you know, I think it's printed somewhere, I think in Empire. But um, from that, I just did a maquette of him over the weekend um, and brought that sort of, because um, they said, oh, it had to be cute. But I didn't want to do something really cute, you know, like, and um, I love dogs, right? So pugs for me sort of popped into my head and it was like, they're cute, but they're kind of not cute. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that was kind of my thinking. And then I just brought that McKen and they were like, oh, yeah, no, that's really cool. Is it true that that uh, that Babu was at, was going to die at, at one point? Like, is that, that there was a cut of the film where Babu didn't, make it uh, yeah, yeah. after Kajimi? Yeah. Yes. That, that, that was always the plan, I think. I think they filmed it. Um, yeah, when the planet gets blown up, he was going to die. And then there's been lots of reason why he didn't die. And it's like uh, Neil mentioned that Spielberg saw it, right? And said, where's Barry Freak? And I'd never heard that story before. So, you know, you heard that from JJ. I mean... For the people who don't know the story, so it's that, that uh, JJ had a screening of the film that Spielberg was at. And and Spielberg w- was like, "Hey, hang on, what what happened to Babu Frick when Kajimi blew up?" Yes, yes. That, so yeah, that was the first time I, I'd never heard that story before. Um, and it sounds quite cool, right? It's like, okay, that's <laughs> cool. So and and then Neil told me that they um, they got a scene from earlier on and put it in. Um, and I mean, it works really well, right? I think if yeah, w- I, would you have noticed if he wasn't there? Would you have said? What happens to that little guy? I, I don't know. But um, seeing him pop up, it's like, yay! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pro- like probably not, but that, that, that's why none like of us are Spielberg. <laughs> I like that story. <laughs> and it's, that makes yeah. sense, because when I actually, um, when I um, was working on the designs for Baby Frick, I was, at one point, because uh, I, I thought about um, E.T. and the bicycle. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, on, um, he's in the front, he's got his towel on, Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. you can see the front of his face and I thought, it sort of frames his face it frames his face and that's what I did with Babin Prick so I made his hood to frame his face and that was kind of 
that little bit inspired me. So maybe when he saw it, he probably thought, oh, it's like, you know, there's some subliminal thing. But um, that's quite weird, yeah. But, yeah, I hope that's true. <laughs> I think I think for me it's the sort of thing where I, I probably wouldn't have thought about it too much during the final battle, but then I would have been like, what do they call it, like fridge logic? Like I would have been at home putting something in the fridge or whatever and been like, hang on a sec. What happened to Babu? Like it would have been, it would have been very sad. So I'm glad that he. Uh, I'm yeah, glad I would have just thought he got blown up though, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. It'd be like he's dead, right? I guess. It'd... Yeah, I just that would be interesting if I ever see JJ again. I'll ask him and see. It'd be interesting to clarify that. But yeah, he told Neil supposedly. So I guess, I guess so. Right? Mm. And uh, when you were working on the design of him, did you hear his voice in your head? Did you hear what he might sound like? Because he eventually ended up having the voice of Moaning Myrtle. No, that voice um, <laughs> came from nowhere, right? That was like, that was um, uh, JJ and um, uh, Anderson. I forgot the name. Yeah, Shirley, uh, Shirley, Shirley Henderson. Henderson. Yeah. Shirley Henderson. Um, yeah, that was their thing. I mean, you know, I had to bring a maquette of Barry Fricks to the office and they were sitting there, and then I left, you know, it was like, you know, these guys are talking. Um, but no, not at all. When I was, when I started doing, when I, when I was designing him, I did the maquette. Oh, yeah, I went into a more sophisticated, I did a series of heads, like eight or nine heads with different expressions. And then I was thinking of, uh, um, I based on Victor Wong from Big Trouble in Little China. Uh-huh. You know, Egg Chan, yes. is it Egg Chan? And that's who I saw in my head all the time. So in my mind, it was always uh, Victor Wong, right? So um, <laughs> uh, that's sort of how it evolved in my head. But uh, I never imagined him with that voice, but it works so well. And that's got to be, you know, a big part of his charm as well, right? It's just, mm. um, it just works so well. I think those two things just came together really, really well. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's genius. Because you look at that um, that maquette that, and, and you, you go, well, that's not going to sound like a fifty-year-old Scotswoman, yeah. <laughs> but you yeah, know, yeah. It, it works. It's great. I don't know how they came up with that. I was never because um, obviously I was around when they were doing rehearsals um, with the prototype puppet and stuff, and mm. I never heard her do that voice. Maybe that was later down the line. Mm. Um, were you were you there yeah. at all for um for on on one on the on the on the Blu-ray? One of the most impressive things in the special features for me was like they show uh, Shirley Henderson on the set, sort of controlling the puppet for some of yes, those. Yes, she's doing mouth, isn't she? Yeah, and she's got like no background in puppeteering prior to that. Like she just learnt it to be to to play the Babu Frick character. Like, so did you, were you on set for that at all? Yeah, I went down the set. I wasn't there the whole time because I was still designing stuff and sculpting stuff, but um. Yeah, I went down there because she. I remember her having to um, rehearse with the puppeteers to get her head around it all. Mm. Um, but yeah, I went down. It was a tiny set. It was really small, man. It was like you probably get like you know, it wasn't that big. But um, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. I don't always like to sort of go and see my stuff being filmed because it's like you know, you're just so anxious about it. It's like, how's it going to look? Is it is it working? Is it not? It's like you get that sort of. <laughs> Sick feeling. It's like mm. so. Sometimes I sort of stay away when it's like big things like that. But I went down a few times, and it, the stuff that's on the monitor looked pretty cool. So it was like, you know, 
As uh, as cute as Babu is, I'm willing to bet that you were a big horror movie fan growing up because you you bring this real horror movie sensibility to a lot of your creations. Um, stuff that just wouldn't look out of place in a you know in a really horrific haunted house movie in space like Alien or something. So, yeah. so were you a big fan of horror yeah, movies? Yeah, ma- massive fan, a massive fan, um, and I still am. Mm. Um, and uh, I watched all the wrong films at the young age, right? Exorcist. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Um, Check. <laughs> yeah, and it's but you're, you're right. Yeah, I mean, um, I was quite impressed you sort of picked that up because sometimes my things are a bit too uh, odd and grotesque for Star Wars, right? <laughs> so because I'm always, um, just because of my influences. But yeah, it's Hammer films, you know, B movies, Grindhouse. It's everything you can imagine, like poured in into these things. And I guess it's um, it just happens subconsciously sometimes. You know, you just it's like um, amazing that you picked up that because no one really else has, but um, I, you know, sometimes I do get people saying, well, that's quite creepy, right? And it's, I guess, lost. But, you know, it's like Babu Frick isn't creepy, right? So I've done a lot of quite sweet characters. and Yeah. But my release is the creepy, creepy characters and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, definitely, definitely a big influence. And it still is, um, even just like um, Out of Limits and stuff like that, you know, everything. And there's such great things that you can kind of just go, oh, I love that that bit and this bit and you can add it and it's like um that dengar what was it um i forgot his name oh the um the rothgar den yeah rothgar den he's like um yeah he's an amalgamation of lots of um different characters quite specific so it was like his body shape is maximilian from black hole oh you know his um that body torso shape and then the principle is based on the saturn free robot you know the slightly it's sitting slightly higher on the actor with the so the actor's arms are inside and he's got mechanical arms on the outside uh-huh. and then the the armor is from dengar based on dengar but it's all leather cladded which i don't think you can tell it looks like it's kind of spray spray painted brown right but it's all beautifully leather cladded and then his head was based on michael berryman from hills of eyes oh. with a bit of um a bit of a salem salem's lot um, vampire, which because I was going to go slightly blue with the yellow eyes, but I changed it at the last minute. But um, he's like a prime example of all these influences, you know, sort of coming in. And it almost it always helps when other people are trying to, um, you know, uh, make your ideas a reality that you have somebody showing you. Say, look, this is you know, his torso is like Maximilian's head and shoulders, you know, sort of, mm. and that helps them. And it's not always, you know, I don't always do that all the time. But he was a, a great example of just lots of different things put into one character. And you'll see them. Mm. If you see, look at the character, you can yeah. definitely see So for listeners who, who might not uh, recognize that name straight off the bat, Rothgar Deng was in the Kajimi Cantina. Yes. And, uh, and he's, yes. and you know, he's, he's in Dengar, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's in the visual dictionary and Pablo thinks he's Dengar, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's like, he's nothing like Dengar. Well, I guess he is, but it's, yeah, the armour was the inspiration of the Levitz yeah. had in his sort of Stormtrooper armour, but um, maybe they made him instead. I don't know. I don't know what goes yeah. on over at Lucasfilm. But, um, <laughs> I think Pablo's yeah. alluding that he may or may not be Dengar, you know. Oh, really? So they might? Yeah. Okay. He's, there's some wiggle a, room there. Yeah, he says he's a Karelian bounty hunter operating under an alias, but a very bad alias because it's just an anagram of his own yes, name. Yes, and everyone always thinks he's a robot, right? <laughs> everyone always thinks he's a robot, but he only has robot arms. 
Yeah, yeah that's right. So, so it's, if, if he's Dengar, he's led a very hard life. Yeah, yeah, he's just lost his arm somewhere. So, but, um. I um, I, I love the sort of uh, the, the the really some of the more horrific creatures that you do that have um, dominating one facial feature, like uh, Caribdis, which is oh, yes. a big, big mouth, and Big Eye from Solo, which is a big eye. And yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. just like, is 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 it as simple as that? Where you just think, what if this guy was just a big eye? Uh, was well, this guy was eye, all teeth? Well, the big eye was. Um, because when we first started solo, I was speaking to the directors and um, because I think it was set before everything else, kind of, I said, mm-hmm. well, in Star Wars, you know, their inspiration would have been uh, 60s, 50s, you know, 70s, 60s, 50s sci-fi, right? That's what their inspiration was. So everything would have derived from Harryhausen and the Outer Limits and stuff like that. So I guess they had quite a small pool to, to pull from, but... You can see in the films where the characters have that style, right? Like pointy ears and horns yeah. and, and stuff like that. So I said, you know, what if we just looked at stuff from the 70s and 60s and 50s? So we got this whole pulp sci-fi thing together. So he's, you know, what you would have typically seen in an episode of Twilight Zone or Outer Limits or the big eye creature. Yeah. Um, but he was brilliant. He, you know, that was my. Sometimes you, you get quite lucky, and he was like my Rob Bottin moment. I was always, I got like a little Rob Bottin sitting on my shoulder, right? His lovely flowing hair and his apron, and he's always saying, "What can we do to push this?" Right? Because you know, he's just for me. He's like, you know, he's the man, and he's always there. And he's, it's like, what can we do to push it? To push it, and and that was just designed to be. Um, um, that kind of thing, you know, bold and mm. colourful and that sort of Robotine-esque type um, mm-hmm. influence in there. And I really like him for that reason. He's massive as well. He's, yeah. And I think Darren, who sculpted it, Darren Robinson, he did a really nice job. And, you know, because I've designed it, but you only take it to a certain point and then he had it, all these nice little, you know, elements into it and stuff and really brought it to life. And, yeah, he's really cool. I really liked him. And then with the other guy, the Carb, is it Carb? Yeah, no. Car- Carabdis, I think his name is. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even pronounce these names. <laughs> um, uh, I guess, you know, things like that as well just happen from, because you're just drawing every single day constantly, right? You're just hundreds and hundreds of pictures and some things kind of, I don't really think I had anything in mind when I was drawing him, but I guess, Subconsciously, of stuff. I was thinking of Split Second, I guess. Remember Split Second with Bud Gahau? Yeah, yeah. We're yeah. too young. I was thinking of that because that was Steve Norrington um, <laughs> who, who did the creature for that film. Um, but I think, because uh, I think it was, back, I did another character. Remember the in Solo, the, not in Solo, in Rogue One, there's the, the ladies with the heads removed at the top. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So originally that was going to, I, I drew a thing as a bounty hunter and he was like this really cool sort of dark black face sort of all creaturey and stuff. And he had this black visor, uh, flat head. So, you know, it was completely removed from the top up and we were going to do it in CG. Yeah. And he was really cool. I thought oh, he could be a really cool bounty hunter. And then they changed it into the ladies who um, are the serving girls, I think. But, mm-hmm. um, and I always wanted to bring him back and I've never been able to. And I think maybe he was like, okay, we're not going to be able to CG this bit, but it was the same sort of principle, that head bit 
you know, no face except the mouth and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I made the mouth as big as possible, I guess. But um, he was quite creepy. Yeah, again, right? People just go, that's quite creepy. Yeah. Those are, those are great. Those are the great designs that I want action figures of, you know, it's, yeah, it's those, I, I, those background then, characters that I want to, to have action figures of, not so much. Like the, the, heroes. Ra- um, the Dengar, Rafgar, I uh, can't remember his name, but yeah. I thought that would make a great toy. If I was a kid, that would mm. be a brilliant toy, man. And yeah. uh, I was really, I was quite pleased. There was like a set of three of those. So there was the, the one with the big mouth, the Dengar type one, and then the Warwick Davis one, the fat little man, which you don't see, in the film, but it's in the dictionary. I mean, the art of, I think. Yeah. Little fat potato. And, <laughs> you know, that was, I think I was just on an eighties revival. And that was in my <laughs> mind, like if Slimer had a child with the guy from big trouble, little China explodes. You know that? <laughs> yeah. If those two got together. That's what you get. And it, it was like, I was quite pleased with that trio. They're quite a, a you know, a, a unique looking set of fellows, I think. I was quite mm. pleased with them. <laughs> it seems like you 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 particularly let your imagination run wild when there's your well well scenes that seem suited to your aesthetic are like the cantina sort of sequences, like any sort of big gathering of background aliens. I mean when you when you when one of those scenes come comes up are you just kind of like, yes, this is this is me. This is my chance to shine. Yeah. I mean you never know, right? It, yeah, definitely. Because sometimes people describe things to you and it's like I've got nothing from that at all. Um, and other times it just hits you like a, a wave and you're like, oh, my God, it's like... Um, but they're always brilliant. They're always brilliant things. Um, I mean, luckily, there's a lot of cats, you know, Star Wars characters. Like, you know, there's a lot of creatures, right, that, um, in the films. But, um, yeah, it's, it's always interesting to see what happens, what when you go to those first meetings and they, you know, ask, you know, tell you what the characters are, mm. there was, um, there was quite, you know, some, like I said, some things sing to you and some, I mean, I think when we, um, with like the ball gullet, when we were first went to the meeting and Gareth Edwards um, was describing him, I mean, he just popped into my head straight away. It was just like, I saw it in my mind and I just, I, I just wanted to leave that meeting and I just, did an image that night and you know he he was like that's it you know that's really cool and then i did series of maquettes so that, that you know that's really cool when that happens but other times you know you get people describing stuff and it's like oh, that's not really you know i'm not feeling it so i mm. don't really sort of i don't attempt to do those things mm. you know it's like because it's like it's not coming to me so i don't really um and there's been a lot of things like that where Oh, that's not really my thing. I can't really um, see that character. So luckily there's so many other things that you can, so many other characters do that it doesn't really matter. You know? I was going to say, did, did Borgullet have a, any kind of horror movie influence, do you think, or did he just pop in, like almost fully formed to your head? Um, he just popped into my head. Because I think, because cool. obviously some of the descriptions Gareth was giving, it's it sort of, from those cues, it was like, okay, I kind of know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it wasn't that difficult. It was because um, he really very, he didn't really change that much from the maquette to the final thing. Um, but what was I think? I, I don't know. I think sometimes you're just, you're not, it's the same old thing, right? If you think about where it comes from, it's like 
where does it i don't know where it comes from sometimes i do it's like i have a fixed mm. it's like i'm going to do this based on like big eye i'm going to do him based on an outer limits episode that i saw yeah. when I was a kid. and other times it just happens you know like like that baby freak, freak sketch just happened mm-hmm. mm. like, um and just don't question it too much i guess yeah. otherwise it might vanish <laughs> Um, Borgullet feels a bit HP Lovecraft, feels a bit Cthulhu yes. to me. Yeah, well, yeah, it was so. always going to be, it was always going to um, have the tentacle uh, thing. I mean, that was an amazing, it was such an amazing creature. It was huge. And I mean, you didn't see it much in the film, but um, I guess he's been in comics. They kind of live on, mm. you know, yeah. things, <laughs> which is quite nice. But um yeah, he was quite. Maybe he was just there too creepy again, you know. Either yeah. than these monsters. <laughs> did you uh, Did you ever play any D and D? No, but I painted no. them when I was younger. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Jake really, mentioned he painted them too. Yeah. Yeah, he was really into it. Um, mm. And I guess are they still metal nowadays, or they're plastic? I, I think they're know. they're they're both. Yeah, they're both. I think. Yeah, I remember painting yeah. them, but it was like, man, this is too small. It's like you've got to be insane, right? To, yeah, <laughs> I anything, but uh, yeah, no, I used to, I used to like them a lot. Was, yeah, but I've never played. The, it. Like, there's a there's a and D creature called a mind flare that's got all tentacles and everything and can can see your thoughts. So it's uh, oh really? Yeah, I did wonder if Borgullet came somehow from there. If you you were a D and D fan, but no, 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 I, mean, I don't know because um, yeah. I guess he always said that uh, his description was that it was like this. It was sort of like that in the script, right? Like yeah, it was mm-hmm. like a, he was always going to do the mind reading thing. I guess, yeah. But, um, mm-hmm. I guess sometimes when I look at it like his iron, I always think of the Guild Navigator from June. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In a way. Um, not at the time I wasn't, but um, I guess there's like, there's something there with that bulbous. But he's such a cool thing anyway, so it doesn't mm. Another of your of your designs that's like it's got a really impressive scale is uh, Grumgar in Maz's Castle. Oh, Grumgar, he's the one on the couch, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Couch, yeah. Oh, yeah, well, no, I, I think so. I had a series of um, designs that I'd done, and JJ Pick, I had him as a headshot um, that I designed with the horns, and JJ picked him. And um, that's all I had really at the time. And then uh, usually, sometimes what happened is uh, Jake would go and draw uh, a full body version of it, um, and we'd talk, you know, so. At least there's some sort of um, idea of what the characters look like as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, I sat with Jake and said, you know, I, I kind of see him in that um, Bosk outfit. You know, his outfit is based on Bosk's um, jumpsuit, right? And stuff. Mm-hmm, yeah. He's got that styling going on. Um, and Drake drew him um, quite large on that chair, um, which was really cool. A couple of your other designs that um, I loved seeing in the art of books were the Mimbonites um, from oh, yes. from Solo, yeah, and and they had a creature of the Black Lagoon vibe to them, I think, you know, and and that was really nice to to see. Yeah, well, they were quite. I mean, I, my inspiration for that was actually uh, Reptile, the Hammer movie. Mm-hmm. You know that image of the serpent. It is Reptile, isn't it? Yeah, you know, the girl with the serpent makeup, with the eyes that are sort of just on the edge. Um, uh-huh. kind of based on that but originally it was gonna she was just it was a she and she was just a character in, in the bar um she was one of the sort of kind of background characters 
Um, so that's how we started sculpting her on a, a lady's live cast. Mm-hmm. And they came in and said, oh, you know, that could work as like a mint band. So, so it quickly went from that to being this whole army of uh, mint band, uh, uh, which was quite cool. But, you know, it would have been nice. I probably should have re-sculpted it or something because it was always on a woman. And then we had to fit it on these six-foot stuntmen, you know, which was quite tricky. But um, yeah. you don't see them at all, do you, in the film, I don't think? No, just silhouettes, I think, in the end. Yeah, it was so smoky. I don't think you see anything in that, in that yeah. scene that much. But, um, yeah, they were, when you saw them as a group, they were quite cool. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the and, horror uh, thing. Yeah, and, and like... While we're still on horror influences, I've got to ask you, was there any of um, Lair of the White Worm in Lady Proxima? Oh, no, there wasn't, right? No, no, right. <laughs> no. no. I, I haven't seen Lair of the White Worm for years, man. Me too, just, but it's it just kind of occurred it. to me that, you know... There is the worm that comes out of the thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I guess that scene was always written like that, so she was water-based. Yeah. Character uh, that came right, rose out. But um, where did she... It's another one of those things. It's kind of I'd done a quite a loose sketch, and where did I? I mean, I'm sure maybe at the time I was inspired by something, but I can't really think at the moment. But I did another maquette of her, and you know, we just ended up. Uh, she's the one you see in the film, but um, no, it's a, I can't really think think of anything that was. I can't really say I was thinking of anything at the time when I was designing her because mm. we had done so many mother proxies. <laughs> I guess it was just, you know, it evolved. You you know, you draw one thing and then usually I draw it five times and every time it kind of evolves. Um, so, but yeah, I don't know if that helps with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was great the way that, you know, she and, and Moloch kind of were, you know, obviously related and, Yes. I, I guess, like, you know, he, he's what a, a small male drone of her species would look like if she's the queen kind of thing. And, yeah, it, yeah, it was just really <laughs> lovely the way they tied in. Yeah, I think I think they would have used some of them, because Moloch, actually, Luke designed Moloch, but I think he would have um, just incorporated some slight um, bits of her into that. So that, I guess they are kind of the same species, and there was... I don't know if you've seen the film, but there's like um, other little tentacle creatures in the pool with her mm-hmm. who were originally like her cleaners or, but that was, yeah, that was Christ. It's like, it feels like a lifetime ago that was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess like speaking, speaking of another design that like went through a lot of evolutions. I mean, let's talk Dryden Voss for a second. Like, there were some great designs done by you on that character. You know, he was a he was a panther man at one point. He was a sort of flamboyant lizard man. He was he was kind of a Japanese yakuza boss type design. Until obviously, like things changed at the eleventh hour. Yes. The, the role was changed into a more human looking character. So we got the the sort of Paul Bettany uh, Dryden Voss that we know and love. But you know, if they had gone with any of those crazier, you know, more alien designs, is there one in particular that you would have liked to have seen get up? Yeah, well, I think, I, I don't know if it's in the book, but there was one that was, um, he was kind of lizardy, but he was quite albino-ish. And uh, he had like a, I think I gave him like a Hugh Hefner red gown, right? So he had the red, <laughs> really ornate, ornate gown. And his face was quite elegant and quite panelled like a lizard and very pale. 
I would have liked to see that one, I think. Because, yeah, I, I quite like the Panther one, but maybe that, I don't know, maybe it was, I don't know if that, I don't know if that would have worked. So I think the lizardy type of thing would have worked, would have been nice. But, yeah, I mean, we did so much work on that. And then, yeah, it just changed it overnight, really, to uh, having all the little scars, I think. No, he had, when he got angry, he's... Yeah, his face sort of turned red. Yes. But, yeah, I think the lizard, uh, an elegant. Mm. But then I guess you, you know, there's always that thing, sometimes a, a human does work well, maybe. You know, does, you know, instead of just having the creatures all the time, I don't know. But Yeah, it's tough because, like, obviously those designs are amazing. But then on the other hand, like, Paul... Paul Bettany is such a great actor that you kind of don't yes. want to cover him up too much. So it's that push and pull. Yeah, and that's always the thing, you know, especially, you know, they say, oh, we want to keep the act, you know, if we're going to have a makeup, we want to keep the actor. And it's like, well, that's so limiting. It's like, what's he going to have an eyebrow? You know, <laughs> you know it doesn't seem much. We'll just keep him as he is. Now, uh, speaking of those sort of ornate robes on the on the Dryden Voss designs, um, you also designed Snoke, one of the, the most important characters in the oh, yes. in the sequel trilogy. Um, those gold robes that the, the the Hugh Hefner type robes that Snoke is rocking in the Last Jedi was that was that your idea? No, um, no, I think that must have been Ryan's because um, when when I did him for Force Awakens. Uh, JJ's basically sort of, I did it with white robes. So he was quite marble like, very pale, mm-hmm. almost like a sculpture. We've been doing like an elegant marble sculpture. And he had white robes, and I thought that'd be quite cool, right? Baddies always wear black. White would be quite elegant. And because JJ said, oh, we, you know, uh, he mentioned about like a, a hammer house of horror ghoul. Mm. You know, that was his kind of thing. So I based him on, actually based him on Peter Cushion. Mm. Because there was always the Snoke theories that it was Grand Moff Tarkin, right? Which I was yeah. thinking quite amusing. But when you see, there are elements there. When I did the maquette, there's elements of Peter Cushing, just the, the cheekbone and um, in the profile and stuff. But it wasn't meant to be Peter Cushing, but he was my hammer reference kind of thing. Um, mm. But, uh, yeah, he was, he was quite graphic in that first iteration in Force Awakens. You don't really see him much because he's a hologram, I guess, but... And I don't. I think even in Force Awakens they went to a black robe, mm. but the gold one must have been a Ryan thing. And for me, I don't. At the time, it was like, oh my god, what's that? But I quite. It's like for me, it was almost like Flash Gordon. Yeah, you know, very, very colourful, and you know whether you think it fits in the Star Wars film or not, I, you know, it's up to you. But um, I quite like um, that sort. It's like Guardians of the Galaxy is a really expensive. Flash Gordon like B movie, right? It's it's got mm. the whole aesthetic, and I thought, okay, you know, it's kind of cool. But um, but what they did to him there as well, they um, they just got rid of some of his. They made his face a bit more friendly, I think. Not as he he went more to a flesh color, and then mm-hmm. some of his face was softened up a bit, so it wasn't so graphic because you know originally had that whole mm. side of his face taken out, and it was really kind of nasty sort of stuff going on. And I quite like the idea of having like a marble skin type, you know, with all the veining, like you're getting marble sort of coming through these piercing blue eyes. Mm. Um, but he kind of evolved and got a little bit softer, I think, which I guess they, you know, like getting Ivan and these creepy monsters, right? <laughs> but, uh, 
yeah, I think, yeah, the robes. And he had little turn-up shoes, didn't he? Little gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Turkish, Turkish shoes. But, uh, yeah, he is, yeah. He was quite good fun to do. Yeah, we, we delved into um, Lee Brackett's first draft of Empire Strikes Back for a recent podcast and found mm. out that in her very first draft of that, the Emperor had cloth of gold robes. Um, oh, really? So maybe maybe Ryan was kind of referencing back to to that. Oh, so the, yeah, the oh, the Emperor nearly had these Flash Gordon gold robes oh, in the first okay. draft of Empire. So, I mean, yeah. it doesn't. I guess it's kind of that. If you'd done him in black, it would be like, oh, look, have you sort of seen black? The Emperor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I, I still think a whitish elegant gown could have worked as well. But I I don't mind the gold. It doesn't. Doesn't it? I think yeah. it kind of fits in that scene. That whole thing is very theatrical. That whole race. Yes. Mm. And, and I went on that set as well. That was quite. Oh, great! Yeah, that was quite cool. I, I remember. I think Neil fell down a hole on the set. <laughs> <laughs> it was really quiet, and they were filming something. And it was like they had these big panels that were open, you know, for uh-huh. something. But obviously, no one covered it up. I was walking upstairs with him, and then he just he vanished, and then everyone just, <laughs> you heard this like, and then everyone just looked around. It was like, I'm fine. <laughs> See, this That's is why this is why the Empire and the First Order need railings on their on their designs. Yeah. They they never have any. It just it looks like a, a real. <laughs> it's like a health and safety nightmare. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like imagine if you leave a naked flame by those curtains. It's, yeah, yeah, insane, oh, crazy flames. <laughs> <laughs> was it? Um, is it true that Snoke was almost a, a, a female at, at one point, like at one stage of the design process? Um, I think initially when they spoke about her, she was female. Um, because the first image I did, I, I based it on female. Um. But then that just very quickly uh, mm. went away. Mm. So either it was just in passing, or but they, they, you know, that I think I just did one image and that was it, and no one else did anymore. Uh, I don't think anyone did really. And yeah, and then from then on, it just became a male. Yeah, and it's funny because the art book sort of mentions that, like, I think there's a quote from you in there where you talk about, like, JJ and, and Neil Scanlon didn't want him to be, initially, didn't want him to be sort of old and decrepit like the Emperor, but obviously that's kind of eventually where he ended up. How did how did you kind of, like, yes. arrive at that at that design? Um, well, yeah, because you, you wouldn't want to make him like the Emperor again, you know, that sort of, I mean, that sort of pops into your head, but I've done quite a few illustrations uh, I did quite a lot, actually, of um, different illustrations of him. Some with like mechanical bits to, you know, sort of to keep him alive. I guess like breathing, not like a respirator, but breathing bits and tubes. Just and in one of the images, there's a tube coming out of his nose. I guess kind of keeping him alive. But there's, mm. you know, there was quite a few um, drawings, and I did quite a few little maquette heads. Um, so kind of nothing was really kind of working. And then I just did, I think the image that's in the book is the one I just did as, uh, I guess he kind of just looks like an old man, but as we did the maquette, we just went quite um, gross and sort of deformed and stuff like that, which he just picked up on. But um, You also said in the book that you sort of, you, you envisioned him as this kind of beautiful marble structure that he was, you know, yeah. dark and, and menacing, but there's something beautiful about it as well. I mean, do you think there was something beautiful about his look in, in the end? 
Well, I think, you know, when you sort of start these things, it's like running through your head, right? Mm. Sort of seeing. And for me, it was, I think it was almost because uh, why does the villain always have to be so villainous, you know? So, mm. so obviously, why couldn't he have been a very beautiful, elegant, uh, magnificent-looking uh, magnificent sort of character, you know, sort of noble. And, and obviously, he is you know, really evil, but you didn't have to show it like that. And maybe that would have been nice sort of uh, juxtaposed between you know, how, you, you know, maybe that would have made him more, his actions more evil some way. You wouldn't expect mm-hmm. it because he's like, oh, actually, he's, and, you know, he's quite scarred and stuff, but he's quite beautiful at the same time. Mm. But I guess, yeah, does that, you know, that probably fell asleep. That was just me sort of, you know, sort of thinking about stuff. Yeah. Then, what um did you, like, when you were designing the character, like, obviously, you know, JJ and 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 co had had their own ideas but you know in your head did you sort of imagine a, a backstory for snoke like did what what kind of informed your your take on it uh, not really because i guess um from the script it didn't really give you much to go on mm. you know really all, all i had was like a hammer ghoul type character so you didn't really have um much to go on mm. uh so i didn't really think about his uh, what he was because I didn't really have enough information. I mean, no one did, right? It's like, yeah. Um, it's yeah. Sort of a film. So, um, no, I just, no, not really, no backstory. Just tried to come up with something that wasn't the Emperor, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think he's kind of cool. I guess he's, you know, maybe underused. A lot of people think he's underused and stuff, but um, I liked him in Force Awakens. Yeah. And I mm. thought he was great in Jedi as well. He's still yeah. quite, he's got a creepiness about him. Yes, he does. You know, but still quite, yeah. sort of almost quite charismatic in a way. I think just... Yeah, he was, yeah. And when he got out into the wild then and uh, and all these theories started, you know, percolating, like we've mentioned before about the Moff Tarkin theory. Yes. Did, did you did you sort of look at all those theories? And uh, yeah, I know you said you weren't a huge internet troller. Well, but... no, because there was, what was the biggest, yeah, the biggest one was the Darth, Plague, uh, yeah, Darth um, which is a character I never heard of. Um, but uh, you know, it's almost like they knew more than me because I, that none of those things applied to when we were doing it, yeah. yeah. It wasn't like oh, he's so he was just who he was, Snow, yeah. and no one really questioned it. was like, okay, he's the supreme leader, right? So, um, he was what he was, but there was never any of that sort of stuff when we were working, it just all came like floods of it, right? From people. Um, but that, yeah, dark places was a, a, a big one, mm. but there was so many, wasn't there? Um, yeah. So many years. It was like, it seemed like a lifetime after force awakens that whole period. Yeah. Like people who snowed this and that, you know, in, in the end, we, we just casually find out in the first two minutes of Rise of Skywalker that he was just grown in a jar <laughs> as, a, as a puppet. Yeah, and then that, yeah that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, yeah. I mean, I don't, it's weird to think, yeah, because I guess I never really thought much about him from the beginning, really. Mm. I guess because I was so busy working on these films, it's sort of like almost become a bit detached, you're like doing stuff, doing stuff, and a lot less stuff you kind of forget about. You sort of sometimes forget that. I kind of forget that. I've done Snoke. It's like, oh, yeah, I did Snoke. Right? Kind of, but, um, 
Yeah, I wonder if he'll ever come back somewhere. Yeah, maybe. If they all they all end up coming back somewhere. He'll be in a comic or a video game or something. Yeah, for sure. yeah. You uh you also designed uh Snoke's aids for the Force Awakens. Um and then they were I think they were close to being used in Rogue One and then eventually found a home in in the Last Jedi, right? Those sort of guys who hang around with with Snoke. Oh, the the ones in the purple, the tall. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, they've been around since Force Awakens. Yes, no, yeah, they were quite um the one with the like the glowing eyes, the ones in the Yeah, the, the machine. Yeah, the ones that kind of they're operating yes, his. Yes, I was his, trying to get those know. in, and then I think someone saw it said they'd be quite good aids for the, um, the um, Snoke. Uh, yeah, they were actually based on uh, Philip Jackson sculptures. He does these beautiful, um, very thin, narrow, almost nun-like. They've got these beautiful shapes and stuff. Um, so I kind of based on that, I thought that was a really elegant thing. Um, and yeah, they sat above. The actor or actress is actually quite high, but they were mm. quite simple, quite simple things. Like, yeah, they're really, they're really quite sweet. Those, but yeah. you see them briefly, didn't you? I, mean, I yeah. guess you see all these things in the uh, behind the scenes stuff, right? So, yeah, well, they're kind of it's that it's that classic Star Wars thing of like, wait, who's that? And they you know they're on screen for five yes. seconds, and then they inspire a you know a cult fan base. But well, then that's like the first Star Wars, right? It's like some of the the most iconic characters yeah. are there. For- a split second, you know, Devil Man, yeah. Wolf Man. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, even like Boba Fett, right? Yeah. It's like you become, so you never know really what, you know, and I guess along the way they, they'll bring out a toy of something, you know, and they just carry on and they, some, I guess, fall away by the wayside and others sort of become a bit more iconic. You know, yeah. it'd be interesting to see what characters stand out in like 20 years' time or yeah. what they've gone to, you know, so it'd be quite interesting. One of the other split-second um, screen time characters that you did that got a massive response and a lot of love was Bistan from Rogue One. Oh, with yes. His space monkey with his big Dennis Healy eyebrows. Yes. And, well, yeah, I, I think he's fantastic design. Yeah, that, uh, he was cool. I liked him a lot. I liked him a lot. And that was because Gareth just basically likes chimps and space suits, really. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think I did a drawing of a, like a monkey-type character with a big you know, a helmet ring around his neck um, mm-hmm. spacesuit, um, and he was like, "Oh, you know that that could be quite cool." Chimps in spacesuits, and uh, you know he had a lot of input as well. He had he, uh, he uh, Gareth liked uh, had the idea about the eyebrows and stuff like that, but um, yeah, he was really good. He was really cool, and I wish yeah, I wish I'd seen him a little bit more. It would have been <laughs> nice, but um, but he's out there. You know, I'm, there's no reason he couldn't be used somewhere else. Yeah, at some point because he's. Yeah, he's he's a cool, he's like a very maniacal character, isn't he? Yeah, there's a, there's an action figure of him. Yes, there is. The little, yeah, I've got one, and there's oh, um, good. Yeah, me too. <laughs> there's a pop version of him as well, right. and there's actually a bust. Uh, I think General Giant did a bust, sculpted bust, which is really nice. Um, mm-hmm. He's a classic example of one of those characters where, like, he's in the trailer, and I'm just like, "Yes, I'm all in on this space monkey character. He's my favorite new character. The whole movie is going to be about him." And then, you know, <laughs> he's he's on screen for like five seconds, but it's but it's great. It like adds texture to the world. You know, it's another fun little yeah. fun little detail that's in there. Because they brought him out a celebration, didn't they? He came out. Yeah. Um, that's when you f- they sort of first introduced. So he yeah, he was actually on on stage. Yeah. 
he gets more screen you know, screen time there than in the film, but <laughs> he's there, right? And you know, and I've seen fan art of him as well. So he's he's he lives right, and then hopefully, you know, down the line, whether they do TV shows or that, he could come back. You know, yeah. We've seen a lot of um, designs uh, from Solo and Last Jedi and things yes. like that come back in Mandalorian already. Um, yes, that's true. Yeah, that's true. So, so yeah, um, yeah and I guess that's because it makes sense to bring these things back because you've got them as well. Yeah, um, it's, you know, why not use them? But um, yeah, some things have popped out throughout the films. Yeah, you're right. I'd uh, I'd be down for a Bistan and uh, and Babu Frick team up uh, TV show. <laughs> I was yeah, I was just thinking. Because they're both kind of maniacs, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want to get out that's drinking it. with them on a Saturday. That's it. That's Exa- exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it doesn't need to be a TV show. Let's just let's just go for a drink with Babu Frick and uh, Bistan. Oh, maybe they should do a TV show where they just visit bars, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or do like a man versus food thing where they just eat. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Someone, let's make this happen. Disney Plus. I hope, yeah. you, I hope yeah, you're that, listening. There you go. And maybe I'll get some royalties for that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Man versus food. That'd be amazing. Eating like That's the hot wings possible. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we've established if you need a creepy guy or a maniac, you come to Ivan. You come <laughs> to me for the creepy guys, yeah. yeah. That's it. We we were talking about Solo and things like that, like, uh, uh, Rise of Skywalker. I mean, you've worked on several of these Star Wars films where, you know, a director's been changed at various points in the production. How does that affect the work that you guys do in the art department? Like, do you find your department just sort of keeps rolling on through the change? Like like when Ron Howard comes in on Solo, does he does he keep a lot of the designs you guys had already produced? Like, what what's the impact on, on the art department of a move like that? Well, Sometimes not that much because we're in so early on, we're in before anything's really in place. You know, mm. so we're we're designing um, aliens, and that's all the sort of creature shop is doing at that time mm. before other people come in. So just loads of designs. I guess the same with other departments, like art department, set design. So at that stage, it's not too uh, bad because it's just images. We're not building stuff. Um, so like when um, Colin left. The, the last one, the mm-hmm. Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, uh, we never used any of those designs in the end, but we hadn't started building stuff anyway, so we just went into a new design phase. So it didn't have that much of an impact. It was a shame because there were some really nice sort of characters, but and it's like everything you, you know. There's so we have stacks of characters now that will probably never see the light of day. You know, sometimes you can bring out your favourite ones and sort of try and submit them and try and get them in, but um, I've got stacks on that. We'll never see the light of day, which is a shame, you know, but, um, but then with Ron Howard coming, I think most of the, most of the stuff was already done mm. when he came on. I think the only change was uh, we changed Rio. It was quite hairy early on and mm. just took his hair off. So he was uh, a bit more sort of bald, not so hairy. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it didn't. And even though that was the, the you know eleventh hour, it didn't it didn't upset anything too much. I don't think because he just had what he had, and he, you know he made use of what he had. Yeah, I can, I can see a time in the far future when you know um, in thirty forty years when someone's making a new Star Wars show and they they think well. There's all these unused designs from uh, from that early period on Episode Nine. We could just go back and raid all that. 
Yeah, you could. I mean, then I'd be out of a job. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you could. I mean, there's so much cool stuff. There's so much, um, so much stuff, um, you know. And it's like when we start a new one, it's like I say to Neil, maybe we're allowed to just take one or two of our very favourites and try and, you know, get those in, you know. Um, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But, um, yeah, there's a wealth of stuff there. Yeah. Does uh, does that thrill of, of seeing your creations come to life on screen ever diminish for you? I mean, it, you know, it must just be amazing uh, to, to go through that whole process from the start. Well, it is amazing. I mean, at the time, you was kind of under a lot of pressure to actually come up with something, right? Cool in the first place. There's quite a bit of pressure, but um, I'm probably the worst person to ask because I always, when I see stuff on, I, I always see the faults. I always see the things that could be better. What I would have done differently, even like with um, Babu Frick, it's like, oh, I wish I'd just done that differently or just made a little change there. Or So I, it takes me a long time before I can, you know, like some actors don't like looking, don't watch their films, right? Don't like mm. seeing themselves. And sometimes, you know, I try not to watch it. It's like The Rise of Skywalk, I didn't watch for a long time because I was like, oh, you know, kind of anxious to what Babu Frick would look like and stuff. But, I always see the um, things that can be done better, you know, so I can never see it. Like maybe you'd see it or fans see it, mm. you know, and it's like you're seeing it in a way that I will never see it. You know, yeah. Which is, I don't know if, it, if that ever changes because you're too close to it, right? You're too. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a lot like George himself, you know, that's the, that's the whole logic behind going back and updating things and the special editions and what have you, like he's always seen. Yeah. But then does that make it, if I went and did my, you know, if anything ever happened with Barry Frick again, I went and did my tweets, would it really make that much difference? Mm. Would it really make that much difference to me? You know, or would it make a big enough difference that people go, oh, yeah, I see what it meant? Probably probably not, you know what I mean? But, yeah, it's always tricky seeing because you're it's like, I've got to do it better next time, better next time. Yeah. So what's uh, what's been keeping you busy during the lockdown and what's what's next for you? Is there more Star Wars on your plate? Well, before the lockdown, uh, earlier in the, I was doing um, Jurassic World three. Uh huh. And I was um, that with Colin Trevorrow. Oh, there you um, go. Yeah, so that was really cool. Dinosaurs, um, and then just before the lockdown, we were doing the uh, TV series of um, Cassian and. Uh huh. We start. We just early, very early start of. I think we like three or four weeks into it before the lockdown. So mm. that's hopefully what we'll go back to next month, maybe. I'm hoping, but yes, yeah, so that's the TV series. Yeah. Well, fingers, fingers crossed that, that, uh, yeah. that, that comes together quickly. Yeah. I mean, Ivan, thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk to us, man. Where can, uh, where can the people see some of your, some of your work on the internet? Oh, well, I got, um, I got my website, which um, is Ivan Manzella Crop, K-R-O-P. I mean, if you type in Ivan Manzella, it's the first thing that comes up. And I, I have a website of, you know, my designs from the films and stuff. But not actually much of my stuff from Henson's days, all my sculpts. So I was thinking of doing a little side thing that has, like, old school oh, like that Ninja Turtle stuff and grandma and all sorts of things. So I might do that. But, um, yeah, they can see my work there, really. Yeah. I'd love to see all that stuff. That's great. I, I loved those Ninja Turtles films when I was the right age. <laughs> oh, dude. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, when they came out there. It was amazing, it was amazing watching them. Um, 
do it, you know. And we've got uh, like these limited edition books from Eastman Laird, like of all the volumes of the original Turtles, black and white, uh-huh. signed yeah. with little sketches. And I still got it upstairs. There's Great. like a thousand copies or something, but. Yeah, no, it was amazing. It was amazing. Amazing times. Uh, cool, guys. Well, that's where you can find uh, Ivan on the internet. Make sure you track him down and take a look at his stuff. Although, obviously, if you're listening to this show, uh, fair to say you are very familiar with the artwork of Ivan Manzella already. Um, if you're looking for us on the internet, you can find us very easily. We are at Force Material on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, mostly Twitter. Uh, you can also hit us up at forcematerial.com. Um, and if any of our, if you if you want to send us a message that can't be constrained by the limits of social media, you can uh, hit us up at forcematerial at gmail.com. Uh, uh, if you enjoyed this episode with Ivan, look, feel free to throw us a uh, five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. We wouldn't say no. Uh, also, make sure you subscribe to the show. I've noticed a lot of you guys are listening to it through the um, the embed player on the website, which is, which is cool. We like the, the traffic to the site, but that means you don't sort of get notified when new episodes go up. So, uh, yeah, make sure you subscribe on, on whatever podcast platform you like to use so you, um, you see when those new apps appear uh i'm ron williams i'm baz mcallister and i'm ivan menzella and you've just taken your first step into a larger world